what appeared to be in the email about 40 years of Conway's life. The publishing of Conway's life, I think, in New Scientist occurred 40 years ago next year. And my original reading of the email was that the BBC was going to do a documentary on 40 years of Conway's life. And obviously, for folks who are familiar with Conway's life, it wasn't the first cellular automata program, but it really showed a level of maturity in the cellular automata community and really was a, an amazing kind of showcase of the kind of contemporary artificial life community at the time. What was also fascinating about Conway's life is it affected a wide variety of areas outside the artificial life community, um, financial analysis, weather simulation, uh, various sociological phenomena could all be modelled with cellular automata simulations that were based in some regard in Conway's life, maybe some of the cellular automata simulations prior to Conway's life. But it was really a turning point in terms of an early aspect of the artificial life community getting to a level of maturity that other folk were particularly receptive to. With my own development of Noble Ape, the Noble Ape cognitive simulation was based on agar simulation, and the agar simulation is very much part of the kind of cellular automata narrative, although the cellular automata that the agar simulation was based on predates Conway's life. But I think what you find with Conway's life is that there are a number of parts of the artificial life community, a number of people who are currently involved with the artificial life community who owe some of their development, or at least their development interest, to Conway's life. Conway's life predates my birth. Um, probably uh, maybe even a number of the folks listening into this podcast, uh, but certainly it was a seminal point in the artificial life community and something that I think we should all get behind. So the question for the community is, what do we do for 40 years of Conway's life? And my original thought was, if, you, if folks are familiar with the I Am Darwin series of videos, perhaps we could do something similar associated with Conway's life. The correspondence with the BBC, just to finish up that part of the story, actually related to a documentary that they were filming on Brian Eno, and apparently Brian Eno was a big fan of Conway's life, and they needed some historical or perhaps even contemporary footage that would be able to uh, go with the, the visuals that uh, Brian Eno wanted for his particular documentary and apparently Conway's life was very important to Brian Eno's musical work and other related thinking so that was the uh, the purpose of the BBC email so sadly no BBC documentary on 40 years of Conway's life although I did put back to them that I thought it would be a wonderful documentary topic but the ball comes back to the artificial life community and also to spread the word similar to the I Am Darwin series of videos the similar kind of theme could come through so if folks are interested in recording videos or audio or just starting a, a mailing list or some kind of discussion group associated with what we can do as a collective community coming up to the 40 years of Conway's life next year, or at least the publication of it in Scientific American, sorry, publication of it in New Scientist, got to get my magazines right, then now is the time to start planning. I don't anticipate there being other celebrations associated with it, um, although I haven't made any kind of active search to try and see if other folks will be involved. Uh, but I think it's something that we can probably self-motivate as a community and just get the word out that uh, Conway's life wasn't the beginning and it certainly wasn't the end of the artificial life community. It was part of a long narrative, but perhaps one of the early blips on the popular scientific radar that there was this thing called artificial life, there was this thing called computational simulation and perhaps even emergence, and it could come with a very simple set of rules. Now, obviously, we've had William R. Buckley on. William R. Buckley is a, a 
user and evangelist associated with Golly, and I'm sure the Golly folk would be interested in contributing and participating in a 40 years of Conway's lifestyle set of videos or something that comes out of that. Uh, but now is the time to start planning. So please contact me, Tom at Novalate.com, if you're interested in participating in the Conway's Life, uh, I don't know, 40-year retrospective or at least broader discussion. Interestingly enough, when I was uh, published last year in Nature Inspired Informatics, one of the reviewers was actually uh, a slightly older academic whose background was with regards to cellular automata simulation and his knowledge of the history of cellular automata and particularly how things fitted together prior to Conway's life, the kind of late 50s, early 60s and on history of cellular automata, I found just phenomenally impressive. And I know that there are a number of folks out there in the community that are specialists in this area. So, I mean, the word is really going back to you folk too, that uh, your, your knowledge and active participation will be greatly sought with regards to this project. And I think this is something we can probably motivate as a community. It's something that obviously we, we all have a certain degree of passion associated with and it also kind of changes the historical perspective of artificial life to start talking about earlier events uh, that, that build towards the, the broader community that we have today and certainly this has been some of Bruce Damer's narrative associated with the Evo Grid. I've had some correspondence with Bruce Damer this week. Uh, there's going to be some Evo Grid announcements and kind of continued development certainly with regards to the Artificial Life 12 conference as well. So if folks are interested, obviously the Evo Grid has a, a mailing list off the Biota site too. So Bruce, when he is ready, will announce the uh, the news associated with that. Uh, but it's all looking very interesting currently and looking like it will probably merge into wet artificial life in some regards. So it'll be wonderful to have Mark Bredow on this evening to give an update about the, the state of the art associated with wet artificial life. Um, because obviously this is something that we've tried to track through the Bioda podcast, and we've had some assistance from folks such as Mark. Similarly, a couple of the researchers at Flint and potentially even uh, Stephen Rasmussen himself have, have expressed an interest in participating in Bioda Live, and I think uh, I've said this in the past, that specific people or even uh, specific questions may merit recording on the Saturday morning, my time, Saturday evening, European time, time frame associated with Biota Live. And I think that would, uh, you know, would be particularly useful to get Steen's team involved in a Biota Live recording because I think there's a lot of information that they can provide and also really explain the connections between wet artificial life and uh, soft artificial life and I know when Mark Godot was last on we had some discussion associated with this and really uh, Mark talked about the interfaces and the necessary APIs, necessary similar APIs uh, between wet artificial life and soft artificial life but it'll be interesting hearing Steen's team's particular perspective and obviously Flint has seen uh, in some regards as a kind of crucible of, of wet artificial life research uh, I'm always interested in hearing from uh, folks who are involved in industry and wet artificial life research because I think that's something that may not necessarily be tracked currently by the uh, active discussers associated with the academic wet artificial life development. But it's all interesting stuff, all interesting times. And having the ability to talk with folks in Steen's team directly, they have uh, expressed a preference for the earlier style boat interview, uh, probably only 20 minutes. However, I think the the trick with regards to these biota lives is that they can be tailored towards a biota interview, uh, but they also give the wonderful uh, benefit 
of doing a kind of open live recording where people can actively ask questions. And I reflect with regards to the artificial life of plants that this is a a podcast that a lot of people hold in particularly high esteem, and it was one that was recorded in the Biota Live format. And similarly, Tom Ray, last, uh, last Biota Live, recorded in the Biota Live format, perhaps more a traditional interview-style conversation. So all these things, uh, all these things work together, and I think the Biota Live format also works for interviews as well as a standard kind of roundtable discussion. So, would you like to introduce yourself to the Biota Live listening audience? <laughs> yeah, the vast humanity. Uh, my name is Heron Stone. I uh, am a linguist, and specifically, I'm working on a project called Earthling, which is a project devoted to debugging wild English so that it's a better language for thinking and communicating. Right. And you're interested in artificial life specifically? Well, I'm interested in all sorts of artificial things, artificial intelligence, artificial life. I don't see a whole lot of difference between them. Um, well, there are a number of distinctions. In fact, we, we will have the benefit very shortly of having Mark Badeau on, who is uh, the current chair of the International Society of Artificial Life. Uh, and Are they talking about artificial life with DNA or artificial life living within silicone systems? Well, both, actually. Um, Mark is currently, I think, the CTO of a company called ProtoLife, uh, which is doing artificial life in DNA. Uh, mm -hmm. But my background is with regards to artificial life in silicon. The distinction currently is called wet and soft artificial life, and these terms... Ah, yeah. We, we also owe uh, Mark a great degree of gratitude because he coined these original terms as well. Yeah. Yeah, well, those are, ob those are the obvious two distinctions, aren't they? Certainly. <laughs> well, there's also hard artificial life, which is in robotics. So. Yeah. Well, yeah, if you put enough intelligence into a, any kind of physical system, it's going to... Uh, yeah, to me, life, the, the, this biology is almost irrelevant. Have you read Kurzweil, any of Ray Kurzweil's work? Certainly, certainly. Yeah, yeah. With the have you, have you read book, any of my works on Ray Kurzweil? <laughs> <laughs> no, I'm afraid not. Oh, well, but I mean, um, his, the subtitle of the singularity is When Humans Transcend Biology. Certainly. And that's a very um, suggestive title. <laughs> Do you think we might have already transcended biology? Well, in some sense, yes. Here we are. <laughs> We're in the matrix at the moment. Very much so. No, I yeah. mean, that, that's my argument. I think Kurzweil is about 30 or 40 years behind reality. And uh, I think he is that Yeah, certainly he's that way in economics. Uh, well, I, I think in actually in, in a wide variety of fields he's that way. Um, yeah. And certainly, I mean, my own concern is that really he portrays almost a... Uh, I don't know, some kind of historical science fiction narrative which is so far removed from the contemporary um, to, to, be, uh, to be slightly laughable. But we have Mark Badeau, I think, on the line. Let me just see if I can unmute him. Hello, Mark. Yes, hi. This is Mark. We also have uh, Aaron Stone on who is interested in artificial life linguistics from what, what you described, Aaron. Well, that's close enough. <laughs> Terrific. 
So, Mark, uh, I think it's probably been nearly a year since your last appearance on Biota Live, and I'm interested in hearing a, a bit of an update with regards to proto-life and wet artificial life and also the international societies. So do you want to take them in, in any particular order? Okay, let me just make a note here uh, for the list. Uh, let's see, let me go through in, um, uh, I guess I'll take it in more or less, or, well, I'll just I'll go through them one by one. Starting with proto-life. Proto-life has been, um, uh, has gone into, uh, uh, not quite gone into mothballs, but it's it, it, it shrunk uh, the initial four years uh, of our uh, original project was finished and it was successful and so we sort downsized since then. What we're doing right now is writing up our results and so that we can uh, go out and explain to the, the people what it is we can do uh, with the technology we made there and uh, demonstrate it with published papers. So one paper was just today uh, or a couple days ago accepted in uh, PLOS One. So that's, that's nice. That's coming out in a month or so. And uh, we're just about a week or so away from submitting the other main, main paper. So I think then Protolife might start to uh, uh, have some more activity, you know, perhaps potentially hire some more people. Anyway, we'll seek some more. We'll seek a further round of uh, further investment at that point. Wet artificial. So does that, any questions about Protolife before I move on? So, in terms of the folks that were part of Protolife, have they gone on to other projects? Is the linking with Protolife and Flint currently, or how will that evolve, do you think? Well, let's see. The people in uh, business development have largely gone on to do other things. One is now in graduate school, and I was uh, involved in that heavily, and I've now, uh, you know, gone, I'm teaching at uh, full time at Reed again, for example. Um, and uh, the software team is um, one of them went back to school and another one is still working with us. And the uh, people in the lab, the third group, they have all moved to, uh, onto various things. And most of them have gone to Denmark. At least the two key people are now in Steam Rasmussen group up in Denmark at Southern Denmark University. And that's a wet A-life, obviously. Certainly. So, yeah, so our goal now is, uh, I mean, our core technology is Essentially, software, it does involve um, it's software that's connected to high-throughput experimentation uh, uh, robotic devices for experiments in the laboratory. Um, but uh, we, we have closed our lab, and so we're, we don't have a lab at the moment. And in terms of the near term with regards to the kind of broader wet artificial life community, What's the current narrative? Is most of the work being done in Flint, or is it being done all over the world currently? It's being done in a number of places. One is Flint. Uh, there's Shostak's group uh, in uh, Harvard. There's uh, Luigi in Rome. Uh, Diemer in California. Um, uh, McCaskill in Germany, and you know others here and there. Um, one thing that's happening is I think that there's a uh, growing overlap recognized between wet artificial life, which is sort of bottom-up attempts to make new forms of life in the laboratory, and synthetic biology, which is uh, achieving, uh, receiving a lot of attention, and it typically starts with existing forms of life and then modifies them to kind of top down. 
And these, of course, are going to meet in the middle, and so there's increasing overlap between these methods. Um, the next A-Life conference, A-Life 12, will be in Denmark, um, hosted by Steen Rasmussen's group, Flint. And so that will, I think, almost inevitably increase the profile of wet artificial life in the, at the conference and so also to some extent in the research community. So I'd say, I, I think one of the larger narratives is that uh, things are getting, uh, you know, pretty close. We're within, you know, a small number of years now uh, off that someone will make some new form of life in the laboratory, something that deserves to be considered to be alive or very close to being alive. And that will be a huge breakthrough and um, tell a lot of uh, enthusiasm for uh, other people to follow into this line of research and also probably unlock a lot more money for this kind of research. And I think so I've I read an interview, um, it, was, it was reposted a few times through various mailing lists with you where you predicted, I think it was a wet artificial life industry functioning in about 10 years. Is that, is that the right quote? I don't remember predicting a functioning industry. I'm, I think that what I was now just talking about was a research result, a research milestone in a laboratory. And it'd be many years uh, between that and some industrial applications. Uh, I would guess, you know, industrial application um, is probably on the order of um, five to ten years after that milestone. So. I think that the, the milestone, the scientific milestone that I was talking about, which is you know, creating a new form of life in the laboratory, that's from the bottom up. That's, you know, five years away, roughly, maybe 10. So I think industri industrial uh, applications could be within 10 to 20 years, is what I would say right now. Interesting, interesting. And with regards <laughs> to the International Society, has there been any, any updates of note in the past year? Not any updates of note. There was a meeting of um, a at, at the European Conference of Artificial Life of all the people from the board who were there, and we talked about plans for the future and um, uh, our priorities. Uh, but we didn't have enough uh, people to have a, a quorum, so it wasn't an official board meeting, uh, which is the next one officially scheduled for the, the ALS conference. So the I think the main story there is that we are still um, in the process of having the new board uh, step into step into some uh, actual functioning role. I mean, right now the board isn't really doing anything, and that's to some extent probably. If you wanted to point a finger, the best person to point it out would be me, because I'm the main one uh, who could uh, take initiative and get things going. And it's just that I'm really busy. Um, so I hope to have uh, invest a little of my time in the board so that it can move forward to the point where it doesn't depend on me to do things. Right now, unfortunately, uh, it's a little bit too, depends too much on me. That's uh, just because I'm, I'm too busy. With yes, it, it does sound like a, a kind of classic delegation problem in that regard. So, I mean, the reason I wanted to invite you back on this evening's uh, Biot Live was in part the kind of conclusion of the discussion that we had last time you were on associated with artificial life in industry and academia. And I think a few months ago now I sent you an email associated with the value problem 
Uh, now, doing bios live, I get a lot of correspondence, and I have quite a few folk on. And the topic of the value of artificial life as it's recognised in a, in a broader community comes up on a semi-frequent basis. I mean, we have the benefit of, of Heron on this evening, and Heron doesn't necessarily have a background in the kind of broader history of artificial life, but certainly sees the dramatic potential associated with it. So perhaps, Heron, you represent the, the external observer looking in in this regard. But as part of the broader artificial life community, the question associated with value and when uh, artificial life industries or industries that are supported by artificial life explicitly uh, will start to evolve and mature is a kind of semi-frequent question. What's your own thinking, Mark, associated with the broader value of artificial life and how we can all communicate that as part of the artificial life community? Well, I think that there is significant value uh, in artificial life for business in general uh, and some areas in particular. I think one, uh, so I think part of the problem is that it's an education problem. You know, we haven't explained things clearly enough. We haven't gotten the right people um, saying the right things to the right audiences. Um, one community that should be, so iRobot is a good example. I think another one that would be good to emphasizes the gaming community. I think their artificial life has had some significant impact on some games, and uh, there's a lot of money to be made in games. Um, the whole wet artificial life uh, business will be uh, you know, sprouting in the next uh, decade. I don't think anything's going to happen in the next year, probably. Um, so that's a, that's a wait and see. Um, and then, aside from that, um, I, I, uh, what would be a good thing to do? I mean, I think part of the part of the problem is, um, well, let's, let's look at iRobot. So why is why is iRobot not an advertising for artificial life? I mean, it should be, deserves to be. Um, why is there no resonance back to the a life community? I'm not certain. Do you have either either of you have a about that? Well, I think your example with regards to the games industry is, is interesting. I can certainly speak more to that than, than iRobot necessarily. But I think the games industry borrows very heavily from artificial life but doesn't necessarily give credit. There's an interesting kind of non-academic uh, standard in the games industry which I think comes more from Hollywood in terms of actually copying things rather than giving proper references. I mean, we have a good example of that in the community with Jeffrey Ventrella. A lot of Jeffrey Ventrella's early work at MIT is used very heavily in the games industry yet few people in the games industry would give any kind of credit to Jeffrey's work. In fact, and periodically, people reinvent Jeffrey's work in the games industry and get a wide variety of publicity associated with it. But, you know, this, this doesn't actually percolate out to the broader community. It really is maintained within the artificial life community. So I think in the case of iRobot, uh, when, you know, when I talk to people about in a, in a broader context, Rodney Brooks is obviously the, the key figure, the linking figure, and I like talking about some of his earlier research, some of the uh, robotic ants, and also the broader philosophy that obviously uh, came out of uh, the, the MIT lab that he was a part of and the kind of folk that they had coming through. So I think the, the responsibility is pushed onto the community with regards to how to describe these things, and particularly uh, in the games community, I mean, recently with Spore, also with Flow, 
I've tried to give uh, as, as much availability as possible to uh, journalists and people in that community that are interested in understanding how these technologies came to bear. But in contrast, and I think iRobot is a good example, Spore is a good example, the folks that are part of the uh, the media machine associated with these various enterprises don't necessarily want to describe a historical narrative. So there's an interesting kind of communication problem. An interesting point about this is it's 40 years um, since the publication of Conway's Life next year. And I think this is an interesting time for the artificial life community. Uh, just prior to you coming on, Mark, I, I gave a story about being contacted by BBC Television associated with 40 years of Conway's life. They're actually more interested in footage for a Brian Eno documentary. But I think the 40 years of Conway's life gives a good opportunity for the artificial life community to come together in a kind of narrative sense and do a wide variety of, of good publicity about this one thing that has impacted so many different things. I mean, I'm, I'm not sure if you're if you have a background knowledge with regards to the broad legacy of Conway's life or how it sits in the historical narrative of cellular automata, but in terms of financial analysis, weather calculation, a wide variety of social phenomena, sociological research, um, Dr. Paul Johnson is a good example of this with regards to swarm, but other more primitive cellular automata simulations associated with crowds. I mean, there are a wide aspect of... of uh, of thinking that has been touched by cellular automata in this regard. And it's really down to us as a community to firstly find the people that are, have amazing level of knowledge associated with the effects of cellular automata in these broader areas and then kind of categorize that and put that into parcels which can be fed to the contemporary media. And I've had some correspondence through the week about CNN shutting down their science uh, section I think the contemporary media's uh, description of broader science, and I include artificial life in that in some regard, hasn't been particularly good in recent years, but it's really for us as a community to start thinking about how we describe these things as a, something that brings back into the community. And this is one of, the, one of the reasons I wanted to have you on talking about these kind of topics, because I think... We need to have a broader strategy. It's something I've thought about um, with my work with Biota, but it's something that I think the international society is perfectly poised to talk about as well. And just prior to you coming on, uh, Aaron and I were discussing Kurzweil and the broader singularity movement, in inverted commas, and how the artificial life community in some regard is being used to emphasize aspects of that, to contrast aspects of that, and certainly... Uh, in, in recent years, I've uh, published a couple of popular papers, a couple of academic papers associated with that, just to link the artificial life community in a kind of post-singularity discussion as well as actually a critique of the singularity movement. So I think in both iRobot and games technology, it really comes back to us firstly to promote the broader history, but also perhaps to offer alternatives. And I think this is the interesting thing with regards to Spore in particular, that we as a community actually have broader technology which could make things games that were far better than Spore, far more intricate, far more uh, long-term uh, playable, and also probably requiring far less testing than Spore actually had. We had on uh, Chris Hecker, who is no longer part of uh, Electronic Arts Maxis, but who was a great champion uh, for artificial life technology to be used in Spore, 
and unfortunately his voice wasn't heard amongst the, the kind of choir uh, towards the end of the development. But I think there's, there's a broader hope. It's just the way we frame the discussion. It's just the way we interact with people like Chris Hecker and the media. And I think really the way to do this is through some kind of strategic understanding as a community about how we actually describe what we do. Does that, does that make sense to you, Mark? Uh, it, it does. I have a couple couple thoughts uh, uh, in response to what you're saying that I'd like to emphasize. One is, I think that the 40-year anniversary of Conway's Game of Life is an interesting opportunity. It's a I mean, the Game of Life is, you know, I still think it's absolutely fantastic um, invention and has led to all kinds of things. But as you were illustrating, um, and I, I I think the key thing that's needed is some people in the community who have a sense of um, how to do PR, how to be successful at raising money for research, how to be successful at publishing uh, results in high-profile places like science, you know, how to um, have ambitions about uh, act having artificial lights play a role in the academia and also in, in business. What strikes me is, I mentioned synthetic biology a little while ago, that that community has some individuals who are very good at all of those things that I just listed. And they have, I think, pretty consciously and very successfully um, hit on each one of those issues, PR, funding, publicity, academic life, um, business, uh, entrepreneurship, and um, and been successful, and there's a tremendous amount of uh, uh, energy and money and people going into synthetic biology. And I think that if we could find some of the same people in our community who understand what artificial, you know, life is all about and how we can be uh, valuable, and would take initiative in the same way that. Uh, some folks in synthetic biology did. It could be. Uh, it could make a uh, make a big difference. So, for example, concretely, um, I think you're actually one of the people who could play help play, you know, be very helpful in this kind of capacity. But to make it more specific, we could, uh, you know, at the next artificial life conference, for example, maybe what one of the things I'd like to do is have the meeting not just be an opportunity for people to come in and talk about their recent results, but also an opportunity for the community to get together and to think strategically and um, discuss uh, what direction to go in and find people up and, and have some momentum coming out. And one way to do that could be, for example, to have a session in which we talk specifically about the value problem, and that's the theme of the session. And we have a roundtable or, or something like that, and maybe we can get people like the uh, you know, um, some people from the gaming industry and some iRobot and some genetic and evolutionary computation, you know, some sort of um, machine learning is a certain approach to machine learning or some kind of application area of artificial artificial life or artificial life ideas like genetic algorithms and evolution computation at one point was considered part of artificial life and now it's gone off. Um, so if, if I, I think that the people who are you know, the actual people who come to the conferences and publish in the journal and things like that, um, uh, in many cases are, uh, you know, happy enough just to do the same sort of things they have been doing in the past. And I think some leadership or some examples of people 
saying, um, coming in and saying, look, um, we, this, this is what you've been saying, saying that we need to make the case uh, and let's actually go through and be concrete and talk about some concrete examples, have presentations about those and examine those and test those. And furthermore, uh, somehow have people in the community focusing their uh, uh, focusing more of their conscious time and effort on making advances that are going to be of interest to people who are involved in value propositions. Like, you know, it would be, it would be great if there's a, at every one of the artificialized conferences, there's a regular session, you know, that the gaming people will come to and all of the latest, coolest ideas about games, about, you know, a life-inspired ideas about games would get discussed and, and tried out and, uh, you know, worked on there. And then that would, that would be one of the, you know, that could be one of the signature events at these conferences. And that's, that's one example, and it could be, um, you know, I think, so, so if we had some events like that, it might help to motivate people in the community and also raise people's ambitions. And I think part of what I'd like to do is, I, I'd like to do that. I'd like to have people try to uh, think more seriously about, consider more seriously the possibility that they themselves would go off and be entrepreneurs, taking advantage of their A-life skills. Or, uh, you know, go off and uh, be ambitious in other ways, like in academia or in, uh, 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 et cetera. So, uh, you know, this involves people who know how uh, the world works, who has some participation with public relations, et cetera, and um, uh, not, you know, that's a, it's somewhat a rare talent to find, you know, people who are really good at that. So let's yeah. talk about the games community specifically, because in addition to Biota, I've also been a member of the International Game Developers Association for eight years now. I'm currently the chair of their intellectual property rights special interest group, which gives me a kind of intimacy with the kind of broader board workings of the International Game Developers Association as well. And what you find with game developers is that they typically only go to game developer conferences. Chris Hecker would stand up at the game developer conferences on a, an annual basis and say, you need to go to broader academic conferences and then the game developers would go away to their respective studios and couldn't actually get funding to go to the game, uh, to go to the conferences outside the game developer conference. But I think the best way to get game developers involved with artificial life is actually for the artificial life community to either go to GDC, which is held in the San Francisco Bay Area every year, or GDCE, uh, which is held typically in London every year, or one of the other large game developer conferences is one held in Austin. I mean, they're held all over the place. Um, and actively be there to back up someone like Chris Hacker as a community outside the game development community that has interests within the game development community. And I think rather than asking people to come to a specific artificial life conference, we need to be active evangelists to go to the places where these people congregate. An interesting point with regards to the A-Life conference specifically, and I think this, when I came to, to edit the Biota site, when I came to um, you know, start things like this Biota podcast, 
my interest was really how to get the historical figures connected with artificial life back involved with the conversation. Uh, the show prior to this one, we had Tom Ray on. And for me personally, that was a kind of conclusion to a series of names that I wanted to get in the Bias podcast to get an understanding of were the folks in the historical legacy of artificial life, people like Larry Yeager, uh, people like Steve Grant, people such as yourself, uh, what their kind of future interests were in terms of empowering the next generation of, of artificial life uh, interested folk, be they in academia or industry, game development, wherever, and how these historical figures actually fitted into the broader kind of narrative. And my sense is that within our community, we have a people with a very diverse uh, skill set. Very few of them, from my surveying and from the correspondence that I receive, attend the Artificial Life Conferences specifically. I would say of the people I correspond with, maybe a quarter or a third attend those conferences. Uh, some go to the other Artificial Life-related uh, conferences, um, uh, ACAL or ECAL or um, the related uh, kind of broader Artificial Life field conferences that exist. But I think what interests me is that there needs to be a community which exists independent of specific conferences. And this is what I've tried to do with Biota, Biota Live, what the Greytham groups are trying to do in a kind of grassroots way all over the world is to create a, a broader artificial life community that doesn't just meet at these conferences at specific locations. The cost independently or within industry of attending a certain number of conferences is very great. Within academia, perhaps less so. Uh, but I would have to pay my own money in order to get to a conference, and I would also need to negotiate my own time off in order to attend any of these conferences. I cannot attend uh, Artificial Life 12. I'd dearly love to be there. I'd dearly love to be able to attend all the Artificial Life-related conferences. But unfortunately, both financially and with regards to work commitments, I just can't do that. And I think this is represented by a number of folks in the community who, unfortunately, aren't specifically paid to do artificial life or aren't connected with artificial life academia or aren't connected with academia anymore. Uh, we kind of form a broad group that may be called hobbyists in certain circles or um, you know, wanting to do this in the future or what have you. And that's what I think is an important component, that these things don't just occur in conferences. They actually need to occur in a kind of broader, more organic community that utilizes all these tools that are now available to us with regards to things like you know, as we're doing currently, uh, talking over the internet and internet radio format. We have a number of people in the chat room who are also participating, but also mailing lists, just ways of communicating and getting a sense of the kind of broader planning strategy. And certainly I would implore you to utilize this as much as possible with the International Society to not just make it something that happens every other year with regards to the Artificial Life Conferences specifically or other conferences that are held all over, but make it something which is more a continuous organic communication that will move towards these kind of broader goals associated with the value problem and the kind of smaller aspects associated with linking all the, uh, all the universities that are teaching artificial life currently. And I mean, I think that's an interesting point where we left the conversation a year ago related to the universities world over that are teaching artificial life courses. Recently, I saw a university in Arizona had just started an artificial life game development course. And looking at their material, they had absolutely no material that I would link with what I would consider artificial life. Maybe some folks in the community would consider aspects of it artificial life. But we have now gone to the point where the mere term artificial life has been defined 
in absence of the people that we would consider part of the artificial life community due to a failure in actually communicating what artificial life is in an academic sense as well. So moving to the kind of discussion associated with academic artificial life, did you raise this at the um, International Society get-together? Have you had more thinking associated with how we bring in the, the wide number of universities that are teaching artificial life courses now with a divergent, uh, divergent set of texts? I mean, what's your current thinking associated with that? Well, I think that uh, my thinking right now is essentially the way it was a year ago, as I recall, which is, which is the following, that I think these are very good ideas. The challenge is, is uh, just finding someone with the time and energy to actually do it. And I think there's, there's broad interest in it and uh, broad enthusiasm for it. But, you know, I can tell you, I myself don't have the time to do it. And um, I don't know, you know, and none of the people at the, at the meeting that we had at the ECAL sitting around the table had, had um, gone the time to do it. Um, in fact, that's one of the things that I'm rather hoping that you might be interested in, uh, in, uh, in doing. I think that you, you do such a good job on, on uh, this kind of thing for biota.org that I was thinking that, I'm kind of hoping that you might be able to. Yeah, I think what it'll take is an interested and knowledgeable person like yourself or perhaps someone else who says, I think this is important enough and I'm going to uh, step up and uh, be exercise some leadership. My role on, as a board member would be to help make that kind of thing happen, you know, provide the opportunity for it, provide the, you know, the website and do what I can. But I don't, as a, you know, I personally don't have the time and energy to do it. I'm just worrying about how to find the time and energy to do all the things that I've already committed to. Although I think it's a really good idea. And I'm, my main job is to find people who do have the time and energy and enthusiasm, uh, such as maybe yourself. Well, I have the enthusiasm. Uh, in terms of time and energy, uh, it's, it's an interesting problem. And I think what, what interests me with regards to the International Society, we don't, we don't collect fees with regards to bio. We don't have a publication. We do this on the back of things like the Internet Archive that provides this audio uh, for free for um, perhaps forever. Um, but I, mean, I think the ability to spend just a couple of hours a week on this kind of problem adds up if it's done over the period of about a year. And what interested me with the new uh, International Society board was that there are a number of folks who are probably able to invest maybe an hour or two uh, a week into this kind of problem. And from just that relatively small, perhaps somewhat difficultly arranged time commitment, you can still generate something which is, is very productive. In terms of the it's always difficult with regards to membership. I reflect with regards to IEEE as an organization that I joined very hopefully with the view that they would represent the, the broader kind of, um, I don't know what you'd call it, software engineering, hardware engineering, broader engineering community in a way that maintained this as being a, a white-collar profession as opposed to the blue-collar profession that we find it now. And it's difficult with regards to these societies, organizations, what have you, to define themselves in a professional way, particularly when they start collecting money in terms of their, their active representation. I'd certainly consider that perhaps there may be benefit in the International Society creating a non-academic membership that went into 
this kind, these kind of problems. I think the same problem as we're echoing with regards to the academic teaching of artificial life also exists with regards to the uh, industrial applications of artificial life. And certainly my surveying of that similarly comes from people contacting me and me occasionally doing research, but I do get the sense that there are a number of industries out there. We've mentioned games, we've mentioned robotics. I think the, um, the, the pharmaceutical uh, industries are... Uh, well represented in terms of artificial life research, both with regards to cellular simulation and also search algorithms. In fact, search is huge with regards to artificial lifestyle optimizations. Uh, my own experiences with Noble Ape, with Apple and Intel in terms of processor load and balancing and the kind of problems in mathematics that artificial life algorithms provide. So the question is, this kind of surveying also needs to exist not just with regards to academics teaching artificial life, but also the broader uses in industry. And similarly, I think you may be right that in some regard I'm ideally placed because uh, folks correspond with me and I get a sense of a kind of broader community through doing uh, bios live and maintaining mailing lists and these kind of things. But this isn't a role which I'm uniquely privileged in. It's purely through just maintaining these things over a period of time. I think it's a skill set that could be mapped onto a number of people in the community. And I think the the passion that exists in this community is clear. I, it would be hard, you'd be hard-pressed to find another academic field that has a, a solid and vibrant hobbyist community, maybe paleobiology, maybe some of these areas have a similarly vibrant hobbyist community. But, I mean, artificial life is relatively unique in that regard too. So the thing, I don't think there's any shortage of people with passion. I think the real issue is with regards to organising them on focused goals and bringing them together in a way where the time commitment and the way their time is used is meaningful. And certainly I think for the folks on the International Society Board and uh, people who are listening to this podcast who are interested in this kind of project, the time is now to get in contact, and I think Mark and I are both echoing that with regards to getting this idea off the ground. And in terms of the in terms of the International Society membership, I think when you were last on, we talked a little bit about the differing needs of industry and academia and whether the International Society would expand to cover the, the needs of the kind of industrial artificial life community and potentially also the hobbyist artificial life community. Have you had more thinking associated with that, Mark? Uh, well, I still think it would be a very good idea. And I, um, you know, there are not any concrete initiatives, unfortunately, that I can point to that were engaged in to bring this about, but I, I think it's a great idea, and I would, uh, uh, what I would really love is to, you're raising a whole series of very good ideas, and I like, I like them, and um, what I would like to do is somehow create, figure out how to um, avoid the situation, the following situation, that we talk again in a year, and you ask me again about these things, and I say, I think there's still great ideas. <laughs> Something happening on them. So, if I I I would like to, uh, uh, I would love it. For example, if on the the society website there were, uh, you know, weekly or on some kind of regular schedule conversations, like the sort of conversations that that you are uh, hosting and uh, creating, I think that would be fantastic. Things like that, and I think it would be easy to uh, have us start to build a repository for pedagogical materials. You know, syllabi for courses and cetera, exercises, things like that. Um, that would make it much easier for people to start up a new course in artificial life. Um, but again, it would need someone to, you know, be a leader and, and take the lead uh, making it happen. Same with um, 
reaching out to these uh, other communities like the hobbyists and uh, uh, you know other kinds of professionals. I I, I think it takes it takes uh, a commitment and time and energy on and some kind of uh, inspiration on someone someone's part. Um, I would like to find such a person. And let's say, as you were saying earlier, someone's, if someone's listening, thinks it might be that person or might want to talk about it, then that would be a very constructive uh, step. I think that the, I'm sure the board would be in favor of this. And I, I, from my point of view, I think that the main uh, thing that the board, the, one of the most constructive things the board can do would be to help these concrete initiatives of this form to actually take place. So, for example, just to make it concrete, and this is what might not actually make much sense, but um, if you personally, Tom, were interested in maybe, um, you know, once a month doing some, uh, having some kind of conversation about, you know, maybe uh, about any one of these things, uh, or it could even be more frequently. Anyway, have some kind of a podcast or some internet radio or some format that you know about and you think will be appropriate. Have, have, have an event that is connected with or hosted on the society uh, website, that would be great. And, you know, I, I understand, will understand if you say you, you know, you're already fully booked and don't have time, but if you would have time, that would be a, you know, a really constructive step forward or if we find someone who would have time to do that. I think you're right that there are lots of people in the community who have these skills. And it's just a question of, you know, even finding the people and uh, collecting them uh, together is, that also takes time and energy. And we, uh, I'm uh, looking for people who are interested in making, you know, investing some of their time and energy on even that sort of adventure. In other words, the time and energy, their time and energy on finding other people who can, on a more regular basis, sustain some of these. Well, we're very lucky to have mailing lists, I think. And I think there's a sufficient number of people in the community and a sufficient number of people that have this as an interest, that it would be relatively trivial for me to set up a mailing list. And certainly I've been trying to do this through BiosLive anyway in terms of just having a, a regular kind of ping with regards to this topic and getting folks interested and involved. And I agree with you. I think the time is, is right, and certainly I, I don't mind doing this in an organisational sense. Uh, I think what would be interesting is actually translating this into something uh, which um, has full board support and occasionally board assistance from the International Society. I don't know how um, how this would be run as a, a biota project or something related to the International Society directly, but I certainly don't mind maintaining mailing lists and getting folks involved and starting a regular ping. I mean, certainly my background with regards to organisational efforts, both with biota and the IGDA and other organisations, is, is through this kind of um, method. So I don't have a problem with regards to doing that. I think what's interesting is using this as a means of actually transforming the artificial life community, which you can set up a mailing list and get a discussion and get stuff together, but really I think it needs a, a broader commitment. And perhaps the timing with this is perfect in terms of the artificial life conference next year, at least getting the, the broader uh, membership of the International Society and folks attending the conferences connected. I tried to do that with the last conference with regards to the biota CDs, just in terms of introducing the format, Bruce uh, Damer was at Flint recently, and we're hoping to have at least two of the researchers at Flint, uh, possibly Harold, possibly even Steen himself, on a bio live in the near future to get them introduced to the 
format and also the, the broader kind of dialogue. What interested me with Bruce's time at Flint, however, was that even within the scope of kind of wet artificial life, the history and also the contemporary power of soft artificial life, the open source methodologies, the way in which these communities are formed and organized, but also the way in which uh, overworked software engineers still manage to contribute to these open source uh, developments wasn't really understood by the, the folks that Bruce talked to initially. So I think there's a, there's a lot of two-way communication that can exist in these kind of uh, forums. And what interested me with regards to what Bruce was talking about in his own track at Artificial Life 12 was this ability to kind of reintroduce some of the soft artificial life, some of the hobbyist artificial life community with wet artificial life and actually um, generate some broader kind of discussion. And I'm certainly interested in, in doing that through uh, setting up perhaps two separate mailing lists. The interesting problem with regards to industry, and this is something we touched on when you were last on, is that it will require some kind of change perhaps in the artificial life conference format or perhaps motivate different artificial life conferences that are specifically tailored to the needs of industry. And within software, which is my own, my own um, particular interest and background, there have been a number of examples. I like to use Sun Java programming language as one in terms of how a, a company or potentially a community can actually channel the development of something that not only answers specific problems in a broader community, but also continues to evolve through this kind of community um, solid base interaction. And I think we, uh, we have a, such a diverse community that certainly the skill set exists within the existing artificial life community to, to do this kind of outreach into industry and create uh, conference structures that would be a lot more receptive. And perhaps the same model can also be used with regards to the game development community as well, uh, because they have very specific needs. When we have game developers on, we have a, a few folks in the community, in the hobbyist community at least, that also are uh, independent and uh, small team game developers, and they give us a great insight. But my own correspondence, my own talking with regards to relatively senior executives in, in large game firms, THQ, EA, these kind of companies, is that they are also looking for some degree of insight, some degree of feedback from the artificial life community in terms of what the current capabilities are. Now, whether this becomes spin-off small artificial life games companies, and we have Steve Grand on periodically to talk about the, the follies associated with that uh, kind of endeavour, I think we're, we're well-placed with regards to the knowledge base within the community. It's just a matter of actually reaching out to these, these other areas and finding a, a common ground, but also you know, where, where we can uh, move artificial life in particular directions to solve particular problems. I, I'm not sure if the International Society's discussion is really up to this point, but certainly uh, from our discussion this evening, I, I implore you and, and others who are listening who are going to be attending Artificial Life 12 that if there was a, a broader discussion associated with the value problem that these kind of things were raised, that we may have to move slightly beyond our comfort zones in order to bring more people in. I mean, this seems to be something that you've talked about as well, Mark. What I would, what I would, uh, well, I think these are, I obviously support these kinds of, uh, but what I would particularly like to do, though, is, uh, if it's possible, is not just plan to have a concept you know, when we get together and talk about these things, but uh, plan something more concrete uh, that has more specific deliverables, such as a meeting at which we don't talk about these problems so much, and we spend a little time talking about them, but then we actually work on solving them. So uh, 
example, um, uh, you were talking about uh, the fact that the word needs to get out about the, with regard to the value problem, the word has to get out. There's a kind of branding uh, effort that needs to happen with regard to artificial license. We're pointing out artificial term, artificial license, public consciousness being shaped by people who are not part of the artificial license. The artificialized web, uh, the artificialized entry in Wikipedia is, is you know, not uh, that great. And so the kind of thing I would feel a little bit even more excited about is if we had a, a party, you know, a meeting at this conference or some other time in mean, the conference would be natural to have everyone get together. And we discuss some things, but then actually people go in the corner and actually get down to do some work. So, for example, you have a group of different people that are actually going and editing the Wikipedia page right there. And so the thing is, I, I, I get anxious if we talk too much and don't act. So I would like to create uh, opportunities and, uh, you know, context in which people can act in directed and constructive ways whenever possible. Certainly, certainly. We've had Jay Lemon on. He was the primary editor of Artificial Life in, in Wikipedia. And I think he was overwhelmed. I think he corresponded directly with you with regards to the wet and soft definitions, Mark, potentially with, with uh, Kathleen Kennedy. But I think the, the problem with regards to Wikipedia is exactly what we're discussing, that you can overtax uh, individuals and particularly the historical... I mean, you, you, you talk to different artificial life developers and they give you quite a different history associated with artificial life. And something that's interested me through Bio to Live, you ask people, particularly uh, Tom Ray, Tom Ray gave it beautifully in, in narrative form, but as you look at the time evolution and where people were at specific times, their own perspective associated with artificial life and their historical context can be very, very different. And I think that's the problem with regards to the Wikipedia entry specifically is that we haven't taken a lot of time to publish a, an accurate history of artificial life in a way that which could be reconstructed in something like the Wikipedia article. It almost needs a, a kind of book or direction itself. I mean, we had folks like um, Stephen Levy and uh, obviously Chris Langton did publications through the early conferences that gave some historical narrative. But it's, not, it's, it's a non-trivial problem in order to construct a Wikipedia page that accurately represents the breadth of artificial life and what has happened in the Wikipedia entry is that it's kind of fractured into different directions, organizations and, and these kind of things and completely lost any, any basic meaning uh, for folks that are surveying it. I agree with you entirely that this needs to be something which is based on action rather than talking and I think what interests me with regards to the stepping between Artificial Life 12, the related conferences potentially a Biota 5 conference in Manitoba, the year following perhaps a conference that I might actually be able to attend myself, is the idea that each of these points needs to see a lot of action in between them. And certainly if we were doing something at Artificial Life 12 related to this value problem, we would need to have a good degree of work actually finished by the point of Artificial Life 12 in order to pass it on to folk to, to kind of carry on in some regard. So I don't think... Creating these things at, at points and conferences necessarily is just about talk. We need to motivate a great degree of action uh, through. But I, I see our time is, is concluding. And Heron, you've, you've listened into this. You've commented that you think uh, TalkShoe and the related uh, electronic mechanisms that we've already tried to use are, are very good ways of actually getting folks communicating. Do you have a, a final question or a final thought for the show this evening? 
Uh, no, not really. Actually, I'd like to speak to you after you finish the recording and give you a couple of hints on um, how TalkShoe works. I've done a lot of casting through uh, TalkShoe, and I, I think I might be able to help you a little bit. Right. I've been doing these Biota podcasts for about four years now. We moved from a previous internet radio uh, service provider to TalkShoe uh, about six months ago. So for the past two years now, we've been doing Biota Live in a live and open format. And for, for two years prior, we did a more traditional kind of interview style uh, podcast recording with, with active participants. We had, we had Mark on one of the early ones of those as well. So um, certainly we'll, we'll talk afterwards. Mark, I'd like to thank you uh, once again for the opportunity to, to talk with you this evening. I think what you've given us this evening is a series of takeaway uh, topics and things that will go out through various mailing lists in the next few days, no doubt, and hopefully yield a, a small working group that is willing to look at uh, the specific problems associated with uh, academia with regards to the variety of academic institutions teaching artificial life, potentially unifying them or at least bringing them together in some surveying and also the, the benefits of uh, outreach and industry. I think there are a number of possible uh, work groups that could be created from what we've discussed, obviously Artificial Life 12 as well. So I'd like to thank you once again for the, for the opportunity to chat with you this evening and maybe in, maybe in three, maybe six months' time we can get back together and talk about the progress associated with this. It's always a pleasure to talk again. I'd be happy to talk again at some point in the future. I hope there will be progress to report too. Well, thanks again for the opportunity to uh, have this conversation. It's been a pleasure on my part. So I'd like to thank the folks in the chat as well, and uh, bring a few familiar faces. And obviously, we have we have Heron on for the first time, and I look forward to talking to Heron after the conclusion of the call this evening. Thank you all for listening in, and thanks again to Mike for participating. Good night. Thank you.